was quick it feels like the world cup just ended and now we have launched right back into the european club season with the english premier league kicking off today we've got you covered on the footy talks podcast as we will take you through the league's top six title contenders as well as some others who may or may not join the chase also on the show we will look at a bit of Serie A, which is just around the corner as well and as always, we'll wrap up the show by taking a quick look at Toronto FC as well as their newest transfer signing, Lucas Jansen. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and today on the show, I am joined by a man earning his second cap on the podcast from Stereo Serie A, Football Italia, and Soccer 360 magazine. It's Marco D'Onofrio. Marco, thanks for joining the show. I'm honored. My second cap in 21 episodes. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Uh, you know, um, some... Some people only ever get one, so <laughs> congrats on, on, on the second one. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, we're finally able to watch some live Premier League. I, I just caught the first half of Leicester and Manchester United. Captain Pogba scoring the first uh, goal of the Premier League season, so we're well and truly kicked off there. Um, before we get into kind of previewing the season, I wanted to quickly mention that next Saturday, the 18th, at 11 a.m., Footy Talks is hosting a live viewing party for Chelsea and Arsenal at the Rec Room in Toronto, uh, which is just across the road from the Rogers Centre. And it promises to be a very interesting battle between two sides, uh, kind of with a new look this season. So make sure you come out. Um, speaking of battles, I think this will be a very fascinating Premier League season because we really do have a developed top six and, and a lot of those teams have gotten a lot better. Obviously, we saw City run away with it last season, but um, it, it just seems this year that we, we're going to have a very competitive clash, not just for, you know, that top of the table spot, but for, you know, it's going to be crazy for, for the four Champions League spots and even below that a little bit. There's a lot of good sides in the Premier League this season. They've spent a lot of money. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, especially that Champions League battle, because to be honest with you, I'm not sure anybody can really compete with City this mm. year. Um, they, they just look like such a cohesive unit. Uh, I mean, Guardiola's got this team playing the football that he really wants him to play, and we saw that all of last season. And um, with Chelsea going through uh, a managerial change, we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, I, I just can't see anybody who can really compete with them. I mean, United, there's still a lot of questions surrounding them, and yeah, I know um, they got off to a great start today, but... I just don't know if they've got what it takes to get through the grind of an entire season. So um, for me, I still think Man City pulls it off. I, I don't know if they're as dominant as they were last year, but I think it's theirs to lose. And I think the Champions League battle for those final four, those top four spots is really what's going to be worth watching. You talk about Manchester City, and that's, I guess, where we'll start. Obviously, uh, nobody's repeated as the as the champions of the English Premier League since the other side of Manchester did it in uh 2008-09 but this is basically the same side that absolutely dummied the Premier League last season 100 points plus they've added Riyad Mahrez um, for 60 million euros from Leicester um, you know like you said they are the clear favorites here and uh, you know with Mahrez they become even more dangerous I think this year it's going to be a lot about what they can do in the Champions League instead of you know uh, the domestic season because I think in, in a lot of ways they are still the class of this league yeah, and, and that's a very good point is that it's what they can do in the Champions League because that's how they're going to be judged this year. With that said, that could be the one way they slip up domestically and do not win this Premier League is if they do make a deep run in the Champions League and they are able to focus on that. But with that said, you look at last year and you're right, this is almost the identical uh, the identical squad as to last year's and this is a team that dominated the Premier League last year. So um, I don't see why they can't do that again this year and get it done in Champions League as well because last year, um, I think they were almost unfortunate to run up against English competi competition, which is a little bit weird. <laughs> but um, 
you know, I do think this is a team that can compete on both fronts, though. Well, and I do think Liverpool is definitely their kryptonite a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about them next because that's the team that, uh, coming off a big summer, most people have as kind of the favorite to push Manchester City this season. Um, but if you look at the gap year over year, they were a full 25 points behind Manchester City last year, which seems ridiculous, and they finished fourth as well. So they were a fair ways from, from City. They have made some moves that uh, they'll be hoping will close that gap, obviously bringing in Fabinho. Uh, Naby Keita finally comes over from uh, RB Leipzig after you know that, that deal was done the previous summer, but uh, he spent his final year in the Bundesliga. And then Allison, which is an incredibly important move, bringing in a keeper, uh, and Jordan Shakiri as well. Um, the question most people are obviously asking is whether or not uh, you know, Klopp's kind of heavy metal style of soccer can be sustained for a full 38 season or 38 game season. We obviously saw, you know, how well it worked in, in the Champions League, and I think once again this is a team that is structured very well for cup football, especially for a Champions League campaign. But um, I, I think head to head, they'll still cause Manchester City all kinds of problems this year in the, in the two games they do play against each other, potentially more again if they meet in Europe uh, or in cup competition, but. I find it hard to see them being able to do that over the course of you know a full campaign. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they get through all thirty eight games. And you're right; those four names that you mentioned cost over one hundred eighty million euros. Mm. So um, they they clearly upgraded their team, and they weren't afraid to sh- spend some money in that Champions League money that they made last year. And um, I think Allison's a great place to start because he is one of the world's elite keeper, and the fact that they were able to pry him away from Roma was absolutely massive for them so uh, that's a significant upgrade I just I, I can't see this team beating Manchester City through eight, 38 games just because um, this is now Guardiola's third year with the club and his is a system that does take a while to put in place much like Sarri and that's why I think Chelsea might struggle especially at the beginning of this year but um, Manchester City's grooving under Guardiola right now for lack of a better term and I think um, they're going to continue to do so and that's why I I just can't see Liverpool topping them I think Liverpool could be a favorite for that second spot I just don't know if they have what it takes to compete week in week out and Champions League is a tournament competition and we saw what they could do there is especially under Klopp but I just can't see this team competing for a Premier League title so what is a successful season for Liverpool potentially if they can't grab that Premier League title and they're behind Manchester City there because obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of expectations here. Klopp still, uh, you know, hasn't brought in a trophy and they spent all kinds of money this summer. They really invested in this club and considering they were the runners-up at the Champions League last year, there's going to be all kinds of expectations heaped on this team. They seem to, uh, as you said, fill a lot of those big holes they had. Um, So what, what, in your mind, is a successful season that's a good question. Um, I, I think a minimum they need a top four finish because they need to get back into the Champions League. Um, I, I think at least quarterfinals in the Champions League. I mean, they they went to the finals last year, and I think that exceeded everybody's expectations. So I wouldn't expect them to get back there. But uh, I think quarterfinals is, is a minimum for them. I, I think they're capable of it. It's, it's not always easy, but they have the quality to do so. Uh, and you know what? You're right. Klopp needs to win some silverware. So whether it's, you know, a League Cup or an FA Cup, whatever the case may be, um, he does need some sort of silverware because at the end of the day, that's why you play the game. And they've had some fantastic results. And um, again, they went to the Champions League final, which is remarkable. But at the end of the day, they didn't lift the trophy. And that's something that Klopp really needs to do. From a team who seemed to address all, all of their needs this offseason to one that didn't really seem to do much at all uh manchester united this you know this was a really weird off season for for the red side of manchester they signed fred not not that one from brazil um the one from who's been playing in ukraine <laughs> um thankfully if if they had signed that fred this summer would have been a lot worse but uh obviously yeah. jose Mourinho has been been uh, pretty frustrated with how things are going I, you know he's usually grumpy but he's on another level of grumpy this year um, on paper, they seem to be, you know, a very good side. Obviously, they have a ton of attacking talent. There's so many good players there, but they still don't seem to have fullbacks. There's still questions at center back, um, and things just seem to be very sour right now on the red side of Manchester. Yeah, Mourinho's a character. I loved his comments on the ICC. Uh, those were probably my favorite this <laughs> summer. But um, you know what? It, 
uh, this United side, they've got all kinds of quality, I believe. I just, they don't look like a team to me. Um, they don't look like a unit. I, I don't think Mourinho um, has the locker room right now, and I think that's a huge issue um, because you have the players and you have the quality, and the only name you need to mention is Pogba. I mean, you saw what he did this yeah. summer, um, not only on the field but off the pitch as well. Uh, his leadership ability and his capability to lead a squad is huge, um, but I, I don't think he has that at Manchester United, and I don't think he is that at Manchester United. And um, I think Mourinho really needs to get him on his side first and foremost before anything else. But uh, this is a team that I I just don't think is going to compete for a Premier League title. Um, I think they probably will finish in the top four, and they should. I just can't see them winning anything significant this year. With that being said, I I do like the look of... Pogba coming out as the captain for the opening game that seems to be you know a decent move to to maybe get him on Mourinho's side a little bit yeah it's a big step forward and I mean uh, I think he deserves it in some regard I mean I, I don't know if he's done enough at the club to really earn that but at the same time I think he is their future and I think it sends a significant message because there's all kinds of talk of him potentially leaving when Ronaldo went to Juventus and would they be interested in trying to lure Pogba back in two and I think that's a huge significant step short and they know he he's ours and he's our leader and we know what he's capable of and he's a winner he, she's shown that it's just can he get it done wearing a red a red devil jersey yeah, it seems like Barcelona might be circling as well. And I know as a soccer fan, I would love to see what he could do with that <laughs> Barca team. But yep. um, let's move on to Chelsea, who are another team that will be very interesting this season. A lot of change in London this summer, and uh, they were no exception, bringing, you know, swapping Antonio Conte for Maurizio Sarri. Uh, not a very smooth transition in terms of the date and the way kind of Sarri was brought in, but. Uh, he has brought Jorginho with them. They had to kind of make a panic move to bring in Kepa, um, you know, for, uh, after Thibaut Courtois uh, forced a move to, to Real Madrid. Uh, also a good bit of business, I think, bringing in Matteo Kovacic uh, from Real Madrid. They were kind of able to do that with the Courtois situation. So they kind of made the best of that a little bit. But still, uh, I think it's just going to take some time for you know, sorry to, to come in here and impart his system. He hasn't been there long at all, as I mentioned. So not ideal in terms of a preseason for him. So I wonder if maybe, you know, we, we see Chelsea kind of stumble out of the blocks a little bit. Um, as I mentioned, they have a game against Arsenal next weekend that could be very interesting. But I wonder if the second half of the season will start to see um, this Chelsea team play a bit more like the solid Napoli side from last season. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm very excited to see Sarri in the Premier League. Um, but I, I don't think he could have been dealt a worse situation. <laughs> um, no, I, I really don't. As someone, honestly, I can count on one hand, um, three, exact three games. Uh, how many, the three games I missed Napoli over the last three years, either with live or recorded. Uh, there's only three games I weren't able to watch, or I wasn't able to watch. So, um I can say that I really enjoyed Sarri at Napoli the last three years, and the way they played was incredible. Um, with that said, he he never lifted a trophy, uh, and that's that's a huge statement in those three years. Um, and it took quite a while to get Napoli at the level they were when he left. Um, it's not an easy system to implement, and I think Chelsea, that's where they're going to struggle. Um, because one, the timing, like you alluded to, it couldn't have been any worse. You know, it, it wasn't a smooth transition. Conte was actually leading this team to start the preseason, um, even though everybody knew that he would soon be gone. And then you bring Sarri in um, on top of it being a World Cup year, so players arrived late as well. Um, and it, it, it's a team of superstars. So I, it's going to take a little while for him to gain trust in that locker room and to get the team on his side and to really implement the system. And um, Abramovich is not the most patient of men. So I, I really do wish the best for Sari. I just I, I don't have a great feeling, and that's, that's unfortunate. But we'll see because they have invested a ton of money in changing their coach and making this coaching uh you know this coaching change to begin with so we'll see if if Abramovich does stick by Sarri's side because he's going to need some patience here yeah and on top of that obviously there's all the rumors that Hazard could be following Courtois out the door so um (laughs) if you want to add another you know a little bit more fuel to that fire it's it's going to be a tough situation in the early days for Sarri but um let's move on to 
another London side and Tottenham who they didn't do anything this transfer window which was shocking they become the first team in the Premier League history not to make a single signing during the window um, on the positive side they didn't lose anyone either there was all kinds of talk that maybe Toby Alderweireld would be on his way out specifically to Manchester United and um, you know among other players so they were able to keep everybody together but um, you know they have been the most consistent team in the Premier League they They've been at least top three the past three seasons um, or, or better in, in terms of finishing second once. Um, so, you know, do you think that with the way that everyone else around them has kind of improved and brought in big players, can they maintain that and kind of keep um, in that top four race? Yeah. For Tottenham, I think this summer was all about keeping that squad together mm-hmm. um, because they have had... a they have been consistent and they've had a great couple of seasons. Uh, I think they did well last year as well. So um, for them, finishing the top four is crucial. And I think they've got a squad capable of doing that. Uh, with that said, with the money they, you know, you bring in annually just on the TV deals alone in the Premier League, um, you would, you'd expect them to make at least a couple of signings. They didn't do that. Um, but they also didn't decrease at all. So I think it was a meh. You know, I think they'll they'll be able to compete. I think they do finish in the top four ultimately, um, but I don't see them doing very well in Europe. Um, so it, it is what it is. And Tottenham, I think, will be one of those teams competing for a top four finish. Um, it seems like for the next five years at least, because I don't know if they're willing to take that next step and spend the money necessary to compete with you know the Manchester Cities or the Chelsea's or the Uniteds or whatever the case is to win a Premier League. But uh, I, I do think they'll finish top four, and for them, it seems like that's all they're really gunning for. That being said, our buddy Dan Riccio from Sportsnet has picked Tottenham to win the Premier League this year. Really, yeah, I saw that in an yeah. article today. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta chirp him a little bit. Um, but Richo also said that um, Vegas going to the Stanley Cup Finals was almost as big of a mi- upset as Leicester City winning the Premier League. Oh, I remember that he yeah. got destroyed for that take. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to see him doing well in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's, uh, let's head to the other side of North London now, where. Um, well, it, it's, it seems really weird. The last time Arsene Wenger wasn't in charge, I just turned one. So, you know, every moment of my soccer experience has included him. Um, but now we'll see Unai Emery on the sidelines coming in from PSG. Arsenal have, have made a bunch of moves this offseason. They've added um, a number of older players, which I was kind of surprised about. Probably their best signing might be Lucas Torreira, who's coming in from Sampdoria. You know, obviously they were on the outside looking in last year and, and pretty far down behind all those top teams. But is there anything here from Arsenal that you think could maybe get them to climb back into that race? Or will they kind of be in that, I don't know, you can almost call it a middle six position where they're not quite in that top five, but um, still pretty far ahead of the of the clubs underneath them in the mid table as well. Well, I think Torreira was a huge pickup for them. Yeah, he was fantastic for Sampdoria and even for uh, Uruguay. So I, I really like him and I really like that signing. Lichsteiner, I think, was just a great move because they got him for free. I mean, yeah, he's he's not the Lichsteiner he was six years ago, but he also was on Juventus for all seven of their consecutive Scudetti run right now. So, um, And he was a player that they Allegri was trying to get rid of for a little while, and he just couldn't because he was such a utility, uh, you know, such a a utility in a squad player that he he's a guy that will really provide for them. So I I think Arsenal has done all right this off season. I don't think it was a massive transfer window, but I think they did make some upgrades, and I think Burton Leno is also a pretty good pickup for them. Uh, I, I do think they'll be able to compete for a Champions League spot. Whether they ultimately finish in the top four, I don't know. But I think it was also time that Wenger moved on. As much as I loved watching him and as much success as he brought to the club over the years, I think that uh, it's a different time and it's a different era. And we've seen that with the slow decline of Arsenal over the years, and it's unfortunate. So uh, I, I don't think they're a top-four team yet, but I do think they'll be competitive, and I, I think they'll be able to compete for a top-four spot. I just don't think they'll finish in the top-four. Speaking of, well, we've kind of talked about the the top six here now and uh, the clubs that that could potentially push for the top of the table or at least push for the Champions League spots. Um, There was quite a drop-off last season between this group and the groups underneath, but 
there were a lot of, like I said, the Premier League did spend a lot of money in general, and a lot of that came from clubs underneath that top six. Fulham uh, made a lot of surprising moves, got some big, impressive players. Everton had a huge deadline day haul, uh, bringing in Yerry Mina and Andre Gomes from Barcelona. Uh, West Ham made a couple moves. They could be in that conversation. Burnley, who knows what uh, Sean Dyche has hasn't planned this se- or has you know planned this season. They could park the bus again all the way to a top pass finish. And obviously Wolves coming up with the entire Portuguese national team. Uh, are there any of these these teams that you kind of see pushing into that top six group at all, or or at least which one of these will you kind of be watching this year to to see what they can do? Yeah, the the Premier League is so interesting because there is so much money coming into the league because of that TV deal. Um, it, it's such an interesting league to watch because everybody's got money, everybody can compete, um, and you never know. Like you said, the Fulhams or the West Ham's or whatever the case may be, you, you never know what they're capable of. Heck, Leicester City won the league a couple of years ago, right? So uh, this year... Honestly, I think Everton, if anyone's going to really make a push, I was really impressed with what Everton was able to do yesterday on the deadline day. Um, they've signed eight players, if I'm correct, um, this summer, so they, they've significantly made some moves. Whether they're all work or not is another story, but clearly they're looking to go in the right direction, and, and I think that uh, Marco Silva has a decent squad at his, you know, at his uh, what's the word disposal? I'm looking for? At his disposal. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so I, I do think Everton's going to be able to compete, and I do like some of the moves that they did make. You know, you mentioned Gomez, you mentioned Mina. They also brought in Lucas Digna uh, earlier as well. So um, I, I do like what they've done, and I think they'll be able to compete. Whether they're actually a top four team or not, it's another story, but I think they can compete for a European place. All right. Well, uh, I think it, I would have been remiss to not, if I was having you on, to not chat a little bit about Serie A. Um, so we're going to move on to that now and look at, ahead to the Serie A season. Um, obviously, uh, uh, the vast majority of the talk out of Serie A, who is another league that spent a surprising amount of money this summer, uh, would be Juve once again at the top, spending all kinds of money, bringing Cristiano Ronaldo, um, who at 33 is still one of the best players in the world, one of the top two players. Um, they've also added Emre Chan on, on a free um, among other players, so they're looking not bad this season. Um, you know, this is a team that obviously has all the talent to to win an eighth straight Scudetto um, and probably another domestic double as well. But the real question, obviously, will be w- with this kind of money they've been able to put into it, uh, how they can do in Europe. And Cristiano Ronaldo is one of those players who absolutely dominates European competition. So um, if that's their stated goal, this seems to be quite a good move for them. Oh yeah, like Serie A, I'm, I'm so happy it'll be back in a week, and I, I love it. I hate it at the same time. <laughs> it's incredibly unpredictable. It's 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 like the WWE of the soccer world. It, it really is. Um, and having Cristiano Ronaldo sign with Juventus was not only massive for the club, but I think it's massive for the league as a whole. Um, to me, he is the greatest player on the planet still. Um, listen, when you win three consecutive Champions Leagues, four in the last five years, you know, like, it's just unreal what he's been able to do. So I, I think it's huge for Tur- uh, the city of Turin, but but Juventus as a club, I think it really is massive for them, and I think it's big for the league. Um, do I think they're a legitimate Champions League contender? Of course. You know, they were uh, in the finals two of the last four seasons, and that was before they went out and signed Ronaldo. Um, and it's interesting because the first time they were in the Champions League final was when they had just signed Tevez. The second time they were in the Champions League final was when they had just signed Higuain. Um, and now they just went out inside Cristiano Ronaldo. So that is going to be their focus. Um, and everything they've done this offseason is to reflect that. They also went out and got Benucci back after, again, what was crazy last summer. It was on a unreal move last year and nobody thought it would happen and it's even crazier that he's back this year <laughs> um but they went out and, and they listen they they had to give up Caldara so that Milan would take Higuain um and that they could get Panucci back Caldara is going to be a future Italian international defender he's incredible um but they gave him up because they know that their goal is to win the Champions League now and so Panucci makes them a better <clears throat> sorry a better team immediately mm-hmm. And so this is a this is a legitimate squad that's going to compete, and they actually might take a step back and say, yeah, you know, 
I, I, I don't know if they're even going to win the league this year, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I mean, sure, they're the favorite, but their goal and their focus is going to be solely on winning that Champions League title. Um, so they're going to be interesting to watch, to say the least. And as much as you mentioned, Juve's kind of talked in, about in those conversations with the city and Bayern in terms of how dominant they are domestically, they were pushed a lot last season, and specifically by one club, and that was Napoli. Yeah, um, yeah I know that yeah. that must have been tough how that went down in the end, but um, Napoli's another one of those teams that obviously uh, a lot of turnover this summer, specifically uh, in the boardroom. Sorry, um, leaving the club and replaced by someone with a ton of experience with top flight teams, and that's Carlo Ancelotti. Um, Jorginho's on the way out, uh, Pepe Reina as well, moving to AC Milan. Um, and they haven't really brought in too many players other than maybe Verdi. Um, you know, does this team still have kind of that, that quality to push Juve at the top? Because, as, as I said, they were so close last season. Yeah, last year really was Napoli's year. And to be honest, they've got nobody to blame for not winning that title but themselves. They, especially after they went, I, I can't even talk, I get frustrated just <laughs> discussing this. But, you know, when you go into Turin and you beat Juventus on the road five games from the end of the mm. season um, to put yourselves just a point behind them and then fall the way they did the next week, is it is what it is. But uh, Napoli's biggest sign in this offseason was Carlo Ancelotti. I, I think it's still unbelievable to a lot of people that they were able to pull that off. Um, and it was such a an Aurelio De Laurentiis move, how it all transpired, because Sarri refused to commit to the future, uh, even though he was under contract. So De Laurentiis didn't wait any longer, and he went out and signed Ancelotti. Um, and he never really fired Sarri, <laughs> and he refused to let him go up until Abramovich paid the release clause. And, you know, Jorginho was a part of that deal as well. But um, I actually think they've improved. Jorginho's a big loss, and Reina, I think he had a great season, but his time had come, to be honest mm. with you, at Napoli. I think he needed to go. They went on and they signed Murray, who got hurt right off the bat. He's a young keeper that was on loan at Spall. Um, he's potentially a, another Italian international future superstar goalie. Uh, he's talked about it in that regard, so we'll see what he's actually capable of, but they went on and spent big money on him. They also got Carnesis to back him up as a full, um, as an experienced veteran keeper. He was on uh, Watford last year, so um, for you Prem fans. so And Napoli, you're right, you mentioned Simone Verde, but they also went out and got Fabian Ruiz, who was uh, had an incredible season in Spain last year, and he's looked at potentially at replacing Jorginho, although Hamzik's been converted into a deep-line playmaker to replace Jorginho directly. So it'll be interesting to see what Ancelotti does. I, I don't think Napoli competes for Scudetto. I, I don't think um, they're going to put up 91 points. And for those of you that don't know, Napoli is the only Serie A team in history that broke that 90-point barrier and did not win the league last year. So it just goes to show how how much Juventus was able to do in the league and how incredible of a season they did have. Um, but I think Napoli is going to take a step up in cup competitions. I think they're going to get all their Champions League group, and I actually think they could make the quarterfinals, um, which is something they haven't been able to do since you know the days of Diego Maradona. So um, I, I think they're going to go further in both that, and I think they win the Coppa Italia and, and Juve's four-year run of that. Um, but I do think they actually take a step back in the league and probably finish third behind a, an impressive Inter squad. Interesting. Um, let's Let's talk about the kind of the other Italian team that made a lot of headlines last year, mostly as a result of their Champions League run. They were pretty far behind Napoli and, and Juve in the league, but that's Roma. Um, they've they've lost some key players this offseason, Raja Nainggolan and Allison, which they've replaced with uh, Justin Clivert, who they brought in from Ajax, a very young striker, uh, Javier Pastore, and uh, Canadian, well, he was in the conversation for a while uh, of the Canadian national team, obviously Italian national team now, Brian Cristante on loan, uh, among others. Um, you know, is there... Is it, was that just a magical run? Because um, looking at them on paper still and, and with the players they brought in and, and the players they've lost, um, you know, it just it just doesn't seem like we're going to see anything similar from Roma this year, but I could be wrong. Yeah, look, Roma caught lightning in a bottle last year with that Champions League run. I mean, it, it was an incredible um, scene when they pulled it off against Barcelona the way they did. Um, but... It, that doesn't happen every year, and that doesn't happen every day. And 
I actually mentioned on the, on the Stereo City app preview this week that I, I don't even think Roma is going to finish in the top four. Hmm. Um, I think they take a step back, and they've actually downgraded this year. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the acquisition of uh, Cristante. I think that's huge for them. Uh, what he was able to do with Atlanta, I mean... I think we were all hopeful that he would play for Canada, and even me as someone who supports both the Italian and Canadian national team, I would have loved to have seen Cristante play for Canada because I know how much they could have used him, but uh, he just he looked so remarkable last year and even the year before that that um, you know he attracted the interest of the Azuri, and, and I think that Roma uh, selling Allison, I mean, I don't know if it's as big of a blow as people are making it out to be, but it, you know, it's tough to replace a keeper like that. So, and Nain Gallen, whether you like the guy or not, and he definitely has his demons, he is incredible. And I think that joining and reuniting with Spalletti at Inter is going to be incredible for his career as well. And I think that they're going to be on another level this this, this season. But um, Roma, I just can't see them making another deep Champions League run. And I also don't think they're going to be in the Champions League next year, unfortunately, for them. You mentioned off the top of this segment that you do see potentially um, Juve kind of taking a taking a step back um, this season domestically. If you know, with as much as they will put into the Champions League this year, who are the teams that are really going to push in this year? You mentioned Napoli. Um, there, there might be a step back domestically. Roma. Uh, you said lightning in a bottle. So is it the two Milans who have kind of improved a lot this season, especially Inter, who seem like uh, they could put together quite a team. They have, it seems like, a lot of the Croatian national team, which is a good sign uh, right about now. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Milan, AC Milan, um, they, they've definitely improved this offseason. They made some big acquisitions, including Higuain, yeah. <laughs> you know, and Caldara. But I don't think they're at that level yet, and I don't think they're ready to compete there. I think they're a team that's probably going to fight it out with Roma for the top four. Um, I think Inter's the the big winner this offseason. What they've been able to do is just ridiculous. I mean, they had DeVry and Asamoa signed before the offseason even started. You know, I mean, they were playing for a Champions League spot in the last game of the season against Lazio with DeVry already signed. I mean, could you imagine this guy's playing against the team he just signed for with a Champions League with a Champions League spot on the line? Like it was ridiculous, um, and he was the one that conceded the penalty. So that is said he have for you. So I think Inter, and then they went out and got for Salico. You know, they 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 got Perisic and Brozovic already on the team. That we know what they were capable of. I mean, there's talk of Modric. I just don't see that happening. But um, they went and got Martinez. They they were able to keep a hold of Acardi. Um, you know, I just, this is a, and they went out and got Nate Golden. You know, this is a team that's really going to compete. And yeah, they're back in Europe and they're back in the Champions League. So that's definitely a competition that they're going to have to compete on. But this is a team with deep pockets that's going to really, I think, push Juventus. Because I know it's absurd to talk about, you know, Serie A not being dominated by Juventus. I mean, they've won the last seven Scudettos and four domestic doubles. But, um, Last year, Serie A was probably the closest, it was the closest league in the top five, you know, and Napoli pushed them, and I think that'll be the case this year with Inter, so it'll be a lot tighter, I think, than people anticipated. And before we wrap up our European segment, let's quickly preview the Bundesliga. Bayern's going to win. Okay, that's been our Bundesliga preview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's move on to, to Toronto FC. Um Toronto FC, they're currently sitting ninth in the Eastern Conference, uh, six points out of the final playoff spot, which is held by the New England Revolution. So uh, a slight closing of the gap there, although the race remains incredibly tight. Um, obviously, they, they're they in the Canadian Championship as well in the midst of that campaign and um, you know came out with a 2-2 draw in the first leg against the Vancouver Whitecaps were incredibly fortunate to get that draw. Vancouver went down to 10 men after Felipe um, was sent off. But Toronto FC, uh, as seems to be the case very often with this club, just did not respond well to being a man up. Uh, struggled through that second half. Vancouver scored, but um, Canadian international and former Toronto FC player Daniil Henry, just such an unfortunate moment for him, who was having a pretty solid game, um, but has always throughout his career been known to to make a couple of silly big plays in big moments, headed the ball into his own net. I tweeted out that it's his fourth goal for Toronto FC in the Canadian Championship, uh, and <laughs> what a time to score it. Yeah, I mean, 
listen, at least it wasn't a red card, right? Because he <laughs> saw enough of those during his time in Toronto. But, I mean, it, it was unfortunate for Daniil, and you're right. Toronto, he was very fortunate um, to get away and leave BC Place with a 2-2 draw uh, and two away goals. But the whole time I was watching that game, in all honesty, I just kept thinking of how good Alfonso Davies really mm. is. Like, he was torching this club up at times, and some of his runs were just ridiculous. Um, but with that said, they still earned a 2-2 draw. And the fact that they were able to respond after the first goal as quickly as they were, I think, was huge and telling and something that we probably wouldn't have seen from this club a month and a half ago. So I think they are trending in the right direction. It's just... Um, it's tough. These Canadian Championship games, they're tough because especially now that the predicament TFC finds himself in the league uh, and the situation that they, they're in uh, how, and how desperate they are for points, it's tough to decide you know, what to prioritize, but uh, they do want to get back in that Champions League, and so that second leg is going to be very, very interesting to watch. I think it's going to be a mouthwatering tilt. Yeah, especially with the way they've kind of been you know they've been playing lately which is which is a little bit better i think all you take out of that game is just the result that you got two away goals at bc place um yep. and now you're in good shape going into the second leg but you mentioned alfonso davies and you know in general just the transition game of the vancouver whitecaps and even with 10 men that was a huge issue for toronto fc and has been kind of all season what do you think they have to do to kind of change um change things in the second game because if if they continue to struggle like that against the counterattack you can see all kinds of chances coming for Vancouver and obviously as I said Toronto FC is in a good spot going into this with the two away goals and uh, tied on aggregate but um, you know if Vancouver can score a couple early then they're in trouble again and this is what you know this is one of the things that's caused Toronto problems all year. Yeah, absolutely. The, the biggest thing they can do to help their own cause right now is not concede. Mm-hmm. Um, re- realistically, you've got two away goals, so the pressure is going to be on Vancouver to come to BMO Field and put the ball in the back of the net. So there's no reason that Vancouver should be countering the way they were uh, in the first leg. Uh, so I think TFC has to remain patient. They have to remain disciplined at the back. Um, and you've got to be the one playing that counter game because realistically, again, the pressure is on Vancouver. Now, if all of a sudden they do concede an early goal, then things change quite a bit. Um, but we'll see what TFC can pull off. I mean, this is a team that's used to playing in big games and, and in championship finals. So um, I'm, I'm excited for Lake 2, and I think BMO Field, uh, sh- hopefully there'll be a good crowd out there because it is an important game, whether fans like to always, whether fans admit it or not, it, the Canadian Championship is a big deal, and a, a Champions League spot is a huge deal. Yeah, especially with the way, you know, things have gone the past the past season with the Champions League. Toronto FC will not want to miss out on, on a chance at redemption. Um, you know, back to the league for a second, another 2-2 draw, and one that um, could be incredibly important was their 2-2 draw away at Atlanta. It wasn't a perfect performance, certainly from Toronto FC, and there were all kinds of shenanigans that went around it, but how important is that result against one of the against the best club in this league right now um you know showing that Toronto FC can still compete uh both externally to to us showing that they can still compete but also internally knowing that they can uh battle with the best teams in the league because that's what they're gonna have to do down this stretch right now yeah look for for TFC right now it's all about just getting into the playoffs and that was a huge crucial point because um it was a draw, yeah, it was one point, but, you know, last week what the impact drew against D.C., which is the conference's worst team, uh, and you tied the conference's best team, the league's best team at the moment. So it is a big point to keep on pace and to continue to fight because right now this team, like I said, every point is going to matter for them. So getting in there is huge, and it is, you know, a confident factor that you know the playoffs are going to go through Atlanta United and you're going to have to go back there at some point. So the fact that you can go there and get a result is huge Um, because if they were able to pull off a draw like that in the playoffs, I mean, that's a massive result. So it, it does say a lot. And so, you know, TFC... 
they've got momentum going, they're trending in the right direction. Now it's just a matter of maintaining it and being consistent with, you know, two months left to go in the campaign. Yeah, and it's still, I mean, it's still as, as much as, um, you know, it is maintaining it and, and keeping that going. It's still looking very tough for Toronto FC to make the playoffs. I think uh, they'll probably need something like eight wins of their final 12 uh, to make the playoffs. And the, the big thing is that 10 of those 12 games come against teams in playoff position, which is going to make things very tough for them um, going down the stretch. But uh, they do have another game coming up on Sunday against New York City FC. And this is another game against the top table side. And as much as we've seen Toronto FC turn things around, I think probably the biggest key to this stretch for Toronto FC, and it's been an issue all season, but being able to take care of your home games. And I don't think it matters whether you're playing New York City FC or or you know any of the other teams that come in later in the season who are maybe a little lower on the table. I think you have to win almost every home game for the rest of the year. And then you know you can go on the road and, and battle for points there. But as long as you are solid at home, that, that makes all the difference. Yeah, part of the reason the club was so successful last year was because BMO Field was a mm-hmm. fortress for them, right? Uh, and, and you're right. If they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to have to get results and big results at home, and that means three points. New York City is not an easy club to play, but um, TFC's full squad. You know, when you've got now you've got Josie back, you've got Sebastian back. You know, playing a, a little bit more like we're used to seeing. Um, you know, Victor back. Like this is a team that should be able to get results at home against the clubs like New York City FC. You know, it's just my only concern or or what I can still question is how much they have left in the tank mm. because they've given a lot over the last two seasons and we know that, right? I mean, the last two and a half seasons, if you count the CONCACAF Champions League, and now they're going to have to give even more just to make it to the playoffs. Um, and, and battling teams like New York City FC is not an easy thing to do. So um, if they can earn the result on Sunday and get three points, then that's massive. And if they don't, um, and say they lose, are we ruling this team out of a playoff spot all of a sudden? I don't know if we are after a New York City FC loss. I think any time in the next couple of months, if they lose to a team that they're directly in competition for playoffs for, I think that's when you when you start to rule them out of that final playoff spot. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for that matchup against Montreal because um, you know how important mm-hmm. that's going to be. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed almost that it wasn't. I was kind of hoping for the double that they get Montreal in the Voyagers Cup as well. So it would just be a ridiculous rivalry, you know, uh, home and away down the down the stretch. But um, they got Vancouver, which is fine too. But, um, you know, I, th- I think it's a good point about the tired legs because even against Vancouver, we kind of saw that in the second half where where they kind of looked just tired. They had the extra man, but they, they seemed to run out of ideas. Um, so, yeah, like you said, that could be a huge issue for them down the stretch. Yeah, and I, I don't think you were the only one hoping that TFC would beat <laughs> Montreal in the final because I don't think Vanny would have wanted his guys having a cross-country trip, you know, before a game against New York City FC. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, and it's something that you've got to deal with. And again, we were talking earlier, this is a competition they want to get, they want to win, and they want to get back in the Champions League, so it's the sacrifices you've got to make. Um, but you're right, tired legs, and it's about you resting guys when you can. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about this Lucas Jansen loan deal and what that does for this club, but MLS... It, <sighs> Last year, we kept calling this the deepest team in history, and, and this year we're questioning in that depth. But it's tough to build a deep team in MLS, and TFC does have a deep squad. And uh, even with a deep squad, you see how much of a grind the yeah. MLS campaign can be on top uh, of a Champions League campaign as well. Yeah, you teased it, but let's talk about Lucas Janssen. Um, deadline day this week, he was acquired on loan from Tigre. Uh $300,000 is the loan deal. Um, they use targeted allocation money to make that happen, and they also have an option to buy for, for $3.7 million. Seems weird knowing MLS numbers, but Tigre tweeted it out. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we have the transfer information there. It always seems to be we'll find out once the salaries are released exactly what uh, yeah. what the deal is here, but we, we kind of know this one right away. Um, he's a left-sided attacker who can play either wing, or at striker, so he kind of gives Toronto FC 
more options up front. And I actually think this is something that's that's been very much needed this season. Um, I don't think Jordan Hamilton or Toe St. Ricketts um, have done enough off the bench. Uh, Akinola, you know, he's younger. He's he's had some good games. But at the same time, I think having someone who can give you another option up front is incredibly important, especially for a Toronto FC team that hasn't seemed to be able to take their chances this season very well. Well, I was just going to ask you that, actually. Is, is this a direct result of, you know, Jordan Hamilton and Ricketts not getting it done for this club? Because... Um, I, I'm looking at it like that. I know you know they they have some extra money with Akache leaving, but um, it, it seems like that this this was kind of a result of not being able to depend on Hamilton and Ricketts, and, and they've both had their chances. And I know we talked about it the last time I was on the show as well. I, I think that too. I think they also one of the things that I noticed right away is they seem to really want to bring in balance to the attack and have something more on that left side. Obviously, they have Justin Morrow there, yeah. but they haven't really had a player who could perfectly link up with him this season. And that's why they brought in Akeche was to kind of be that left-sided attacking player. He didn't necessarily always, you know, find himself there. But, um, you know, now having Jansen there, I th- you know, there's the potential that he'll be able to link up with Moro more and provide a big punch on that left side. Yeah, and, and you're right. Uh, Akeche was not able to uh, acclimatize Tamales no. very well. And, you know, he was not what TFC were expecting. And uh, this is almost like take two with that. You know, you get another opportunity and hopefully to make things right. So we'll see what this club can do and what this what this move does to help this team. But they are, you know, training in the right direction. And this will only make them that much better. Are you surprised Toronto FC didn't do more during this transfer window? Because I know there's a lot of fans out there who are looking at this team and are incredibly surprised they didn't bring in a, another center back perhaps and maybe someone to shield um, you know Michael Bradley when he when he's out of the lineup. Although my argument is he's never out of the lineup, so I don't know how much it matters. And, and you have Liam Frazier there as well. But um, you know they seem to make one move, and it wasn't one of the positions that's been glaringly needed this season. Maybe to the same extent. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised though. I mean, one we got to be realistic when it comes to MLS limitations, right? There is a salary cap. There's only so much money you can spend. There's only so much time you have. TFC have three quality designated players, so you're not going to bring in a massive name through there. Um, So am I surprised? Maybe. But you also got to remember, this is a team that was riddled with injuries, and you've got a lot of players coming back. Um, and we've already seen the difference of having a Mavinga in the lineup or an Altador in the lineup and, and how much that helps this club. So um, as disappointed as fans could be, realistically, I don't think they should be. And I don't think fans should panic because as frustrating as a year this has been for fans, I get it. Um, this is still a team that's, that's got a solid core that's in a good position to compete not only this year and for the remainder of this season, but for years to come. So I think everyone just needs to kind of relax and um, remember that things could be a lot worse and that it wasn't that long ago that we were calling TFC the worst team on the planet. So <laughs> Shout out Danny Coovermans. Um, <laughs> Shout out Danny Coovermans. I ab- absolutely agree with that take. Um, look, Toronto FC as well now, they've, they've been able to get almost everyone back from injury which is great news for them as they go down the stretch sounds like drew moore could potentially see minutes this weekend against new york city he won't start from the sounds of things although you never know with toronto fc they tend to uh, you know josie altador all of a sudden just show up on the bench some game or or something like that so you never know but he, he has been at least training with the first team again so he's at, at least a game away uh Auro got injured again against vancouver but uh that seems to be short term he, he's probably ruled out for this weekend but not beyond that so with everyone back I think we'll finish up with with just asking you the question who is your kind of preferred 11 for Toronto FC you can um, you know they've obviously kind of played two formations this year either the the 3-5-2 or uh, switching it up with with four in the midfield so you can probably go with either one or or a new one if you want Um, I'll let you be the manager what's the team sheet you're you're calling out here Oh, wow. That's a very interesting question. Um, but uh, you got to start at the mm-hmm. back, and Bono, I think, has to be the man between the posts for you. I think he's just – when he's on his game, I think he's he's your best option. I, I think Mavinga's your pillar at the back. 
Um, you know, whether you want to go with Hagland or, or Zabaleta beside him. Um, I, see, for me, I, do I go with a three-five-two? Probably, because I think when you have a, a healthy Justin Morrow who can, you know, be your wing back and flank, um, that's huge for you because he can just run up and down that mm-hmm. pitch. Um, so, I, and you know, with a Vanderveel, I feel like that is his preferred position as well on the pitch. Is almost as your wing back, someone who can go up and down the pitch. I, I don't know um, if you have a healthy Haglund Zavaleta. Do you want Vanderveel being a center back for you? I, I don't think so. Although I also would try to get Oro on the pitch, so it's tough to say. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it, 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 you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like it's such enough. a tough, it, and it also depends who you're mm-hmm. playing, right, and, and how you want to line up against them. But um, f- for me, those guys have to be on the pitch. I, I like. Uh, you know, you have to have your your trident of Vasquez, Moro, Jovinko, of course, Bradley, uh, Osorio has to, the season he's having has to be on that field. Um, how many guys have a name? Yeah. You know, so I, I wish I could give you an exact preferred starting 11, but I think there's so many variables to count. Um, but your core has to be there. And uh, your core, I'm of course, talking about the Trident up top. I'm talking about Bradley. I'm talking about uh, Moro when he's healthy, Bono and Mavinga. And then everything else can be sprinkled around there. Although Osorio should now be added into that core as well, I think. Well, that shows how tough uh, Greg Vanny's job is over the next uh, couple of weeks. Well, well what, would your, what would your preferred 11 be? Um, I've written it down here. I tend to go, I actually think that with the with the players they have like the problem for me is you kind of have to play Osorio and Vasquez which means you kind of have to give Bradley somebody to cover for him which means Delgado has to play so you've got four in the midfield um and then I go Moro Moore Mavinga Vanderveel across the back line obviously like you said it's so hard to leave Aro out of that lineup but I sorry I completely forgot Drew Moore you yeah. missed it. You know what? Like I, I didn't even mention him, but and you know what? Like if TFC, yeah, like you're you're right. That's how deep of a team this this is. You know, like more if one more is back and more healthy, like you've got another all star caliber center back, uh, and that's what we were talking about. How do you go out and purchase mm-hmm. somebody? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's especially like you said with the limitations that they have and and all the players they have under under the cap you kind of have to be incredibly careful with with how you use your money and overreacting and bringing in players um you know during what's what was an injury stretch that they absolutely couldn't have predicted or really prepared for i think there are things they'll they'll be doing differently uh, if they do get back to the champions league next season in terms of preparation and resting players and that sort of thing but um you know so sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, I mean, but to go back just to your back four, you had Moro, you had Moore, Mavinga, yeah. and yeah. Vanderveel. I mean, how many MLS defenses can compete with that? When that when that back four is healthy, that is, you know, a legitimate defensive mm-hmm. core. You know, and you got Bono behind there, you know, like that. That's what I mean. Uh, TFC fans got to just breathe, relax. Things will get better because this is a team that's just absolutely stacked. All right. I think uh, let's end it on that positive note because uh, there hasn't been uh, a ton of that in, in you know, this season since the Champions League for Toronto FC. So um, let's keep it positive. Uh, but, you know, let's that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Marco, thanks for thanks for joining the show again. This has been a been a pleasure. Is there anything you'd like to plug b- before we wrap up here? Uh, no, the pleasure has been all mine. I, I really appreciate it. And um, just check out Stereo City yeah, every Monday night. We are back and we're excited for a new season. And um, I actually just submitted an article for Soccer 360 on what exactly went wrong with TFC season. And I'm hoping by the time that the magazine comes out, um, it's completely <laughs> wrong and outdated because um, TFC looks like they're turning things around, which is nice to see. Yeah, well, whether that's for, for a historical standpoint or, or whether it's actually accurate, definitely check out Soccer 360 and uh what's gone wrong for Toronto FC this season because it has been uh, an incredibly fascinating MLS season for them. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And a quick reminder as well, 
Once again, uh, August 18th, 11 a.m. at the Rec Room, Toronto, Arsenal, Chelsea, a live viewing party. Uh, you can head over to homestand.ca slash events for details and to RSVP for free. Uh, be there and uh, have a good week, everyone.